Nicole, we're saved. It's 105 degrees outside today. Raleigh, that is terrible. What are we saved from? Well, we're saved because statistically, more people die from cold than from hot. Therefore, global warming isn't just okay, it's great for the planet. Okay, well, if you love statistics so much, I think you're going to be really interested in the stats that I have about all the other ways to die from climate change. Raleigh, yes. you probably remember when you told me all about global cooling a uh, few episodes ago. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Nicole. Okay, well, a few episodes ago, you told me about global cooling. Yes, some of this is familiar to me. As you probably remember, <laughs> I did an episode that's all about how we should be excited about climate change because it's good for plants. Right. That plants episode originally started as an episode that was just global warming is good, actually. Mm. And there was going to be a bunch of different stuff in it. And then I found out there were like so many tendrils and there was so much stuff to talk about with plants that I have all this other research that I wanted to do in a separate episode. And specifically, I want to talk about people who say that climate change is good because too many people are dying of cold. And if it gets hotter, then they won't die of cold. What? OK, so not only are plants not a factor in this argument. No, it's, it's, it's climate beings, change is good for a different reason. Homo now. sapiens actually need the planet to be hotter, please. Yes. Okay, so climate change is, is doing the Lord's work. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, this is an interesting avenue to walk down. You know, we're recording this first thing on a Saturday morning because our schedules are horrible to align, and I hate to start your weekend with a Tucker Carlson clip. Oh. But we're going to start your weekend with a Tucker Carlson clip. All right. You know, Sometimes you just gotta eat the frog. You ever heard this phrase? Uh, yeah, it's if you do the, if you eat a frog first thing on Saturday morning, then all the other stuff that you have to do in the weekend doesn't suck as bad. And that's why every morning I wake up and I eat a hundred frogs, raw or cooked. Uh, a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> you know what? That explains a lot. Uh, anyway, here is a clip from your favorite guy and mine, Tucker Carlson. The Tuck. The Europeans have discovered that the real threat to human civilization is not global warming. It never was global warming. The real threat to people is global cooling, otherwise known as winter. Far more people freeze to death every year than die of heat. In 2019, for example, four times as many people died of cold as of heat. That's according to the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. So when temperatures in Europe begin to drop a few months from now, this is a huge problem. And that will be obvious to everyone. It's not global warming. It's global cooling. That's what's going to kill your grandmother. That's what's going to kill your grandmother. Well, joke's on you, Tucker, because my grandmother died of deciding not to take her medicine after she got to 100. <laughs> That's what's going to kill my grandmother. <laughs> So this is related to your global cooling episode. It's related to actually global warming is good. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about this myth. This, like so many climate myths, does have a kernel of truth to it. Because mm. across the world, currently, more people do die of cold than of heat. So it's not an outright lie. But there are a lot of pieces of this argument that to me are disingenuous. Yeah, and it's it's as though their understanding of global warming is that it's just like getting three or four degrees warmer Yeah, and there's no other repercussions. Yes. 
<laughs> yes. It's just a little warmer. Now, I have been saying global warming because we are specifically talking about the idea of getting warmer. But as I'm sure many of our listeners know, the scientific community has shifted to calling it climate change because it isn't just about getting hotter. It's about all of the changes in the climate that accompany that. Do you know, you know, like the origin of global warming versus climate change? No. There's another fucking myth that we could probably cover on a future episode. I don't know. But it's like all of the alarmists called it global warming and then there was no warming and so they had to change it so that they could keep doing the lie and mm -hmm. they changed it to climate change. Yes. That is a, a climate denier myth. Well, I think the people of the Southwest United States who are currently on day like 50 of 100 plus degree temperatures might take umbrage with that. Yeah. But <laughs> even if that's the case, um, there are some tricky ethical and factual considerations with this claim, uh, one of which is that it is sort of a trolley problem situation. So the trolley problem is basically this thought exercise where it's like there are six people tied to a track and a trolley is barreling down on them and it's mm. going to kill them. You are standing next to the switch. You can flip the switch and send the trolley down another track where it will kill one guy. And so then the question becomes, is it more ethical to kill fewer people or by intervening at all? You have now consigned somebody to death instead of mm. just this horrible tragedy happening. Now, this also raises the question of like what villain is tying people to tracks and just leaving them there and not seeing his plan through and all that stuff. But he had a squash game to get to. <laughs> okay. He, the trolley was barreling down on them. Yeah. He didn't know you were right and by the switch. And he tied the one guy to the track so he, uh, so that to guy cover actually his bases. Was there, uh, unrelated. Unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and there's like a lot of different ways to approach that thought okay. experiment. But but the fundamental part of it is, you know, are we as humans obligated to save as many people as possible or is it morally reprehensible to consign somebody to death who otherwise wouldn't have been? Um, so it is a trolley problem where it's like previously there had been a somewhat stable climate system where a bunch of people were dying as a result of both the climate but also economic inequality, lots of reasons. Um, do you flip the switch and have a group of different people die? And again, that's assuming that if we mess up the climate that we know exactly what all the consequences are going to be and Correct. who's going to suffer most and there's not any unpredictability in that. One thing that's tricky with measuring like heat deaths and cold deaths is that there's so many different methodologies for doing it. So there's not really a good way of comparing all deaths from heat to all deaths from cold. Yeah, I've always wondered this. Like I've heard that stat before. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard I haven't had the honor of hearing Tucker say the thing that you made me <laughs> listen to, but I have heard that like, oh yeah, more people die of cold than of heat. What are the people who are dying of cold dying from and what are the people who are dying of heat dying from? So it, it's it's tough to say because there are so many different ways of calculating it. Um, and also like parts of developing countries, particularly the ones who are more affected by heat, mm. just don't have the statistical infrastructure to be able to take in all of that data with both conditions. But especially with heat, it can become like a multiplying factor for other conditions. So a lot of times if you go into the hospital with heat stroke, they'll maybe diagnose you with heart failure, which you were already at risk for, but it's like the heat that ultimately, you know, tipped the balance. And then is that a death of heat or a death of like 
coronary disease or, or what's the difference. Mm. And so it is just hard to say. Um, it also like, uh, like I've mentioned the Syrian refugee crisis before. You can't stop talking about it. I'm obsessed with it. Um, that was largely caused by crop failures, which resulted from drought, which climate change contributed to the people who died. Do we count those as deaths from social unrest? Do we count those as deaths from hunger? Do we count those as deaths from drought? Do we count Don't those as count deaths, them from as death from heat, Nicole? Because that would mess all these stats up. <laughs> so it's it's just really hard to even in the most like rigorous right. scientific study. It's like you have to make a decision about what is a death from heat and what is a death from cold. Yeah. And two equally good studies might just use different metrics for it. So it's just really hard to compare. Mm. That being said, if you look across all the data, it does seem like more people worldwide are dying from cold than from heat. And that's playing their game of like climate change equals death from heat or death from cold. Don't you want there to be fewer deaths? Let's make it hotter. Yes. That's going, that's like not at all the scenario. That is not the situation at all. It's like, would you rather me hit you with my car or me back over you with a Mack truck. Yes, it's, like, it's a false choice. It's like we don't neither. need to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> neither, please. We just need enough energy to heat the places that are cold in the winter. And we don't do that by turning the thermostat up on the entire planet and just saying like, well, that ought to do it. You know, <laughs> like you don't yeah. you don't heat a cold area by napalming the whole zone like that would do it that would do it i've got some beef with my landlord if that's the case you know (laughs) he's really my (laughs) napalm budget is through the roof right now no that's that's like a real thing okay you're worried about death from cold great let's burn all of those areas let's let's like like light them up let's continuously carpet bomb all those areas you'll never have another death from cold again congratulations we just solved world peace bomb everything (laughs) That's, that's what they're saying. Yes. Uh, and that's what I personally am advocating for on this podcast. Got bomb it. everything. Nicole, bomb everything Conlon. <laughs> that's what they call me. And Raleigh, well, wait a minute, Williams. <laughs> Your word's not mine. I feel like I really kind of got the shaft with the nickname thing here. <laughs> so it seems like cold is acutely deadly in a way right now that heat is not. But this sort of feels like cherry picking the part of the argument where cold is obviously worse than hot, and then just not thinking about all of the other implications of cold versus hot. Yeah, I think so, because we're thinking about like the ways that cold kills you, but not the way that heat displaces you. Yeah, we're not thinking about the ways that heat makes your crop fail. Yeah, and again, this is fighting the argument on their terms yeah. too like i don't like doing like it's it's d- obviously winnable of an argument but like just the fact that we've gone to the terms that i, I don't agree with the premise at all i don't know it, it just it, it it makes me feel a little icky to be even what i keep coming back to is the solution to this problem isn't to heat up the entire globe right. it is to raise the standard of living of the people who are dying of cold right and there and are a lot by, of ways and yeah. and and not by doing global warming right. <laughs> so i want to talk a little bit about the spread of of this piece of information climate deniers have seen the writing on the wall and most of them don't really say like climate change isn't happening at all period mm. anymore they know that people don't buy that And so they're shifting to other ways about like, okay, given that climate change is happening, what can we say about it? And sometimes it's like, well, it's not that bad. Sometimes it's like this just naturally happens. It's the Earth cycles. Uh, And then there is this version of it that's like, it's good, actually. We should be excited about it. Um, Just get on get on team climate change, you know, get on the death (laughs) cult train. Yeah. The trolley problem. Kill all seven people. (laughs) 
That's it's better. The, all those seven people split the trolley. Yeah, they don't yeah. they don't pay their taxes. Yeah, it's kind of strange that there is never this point wasn't a point until they lost the point of climate change isn't happening. Yeah, you know, it's like it's an army that's being slowly pushed back and back over different trench lines, and they just like lost the oh climate change isn't real. And yeah. they're oh they they dug back in on like oh wait, but it's actually good, you know. It feels a little bit like uh, my wife's not cheating on me. My wife's not cheating on me, and then like there's definitive proof she's cheating. And it's like, well, actually now I just have more free time to do my hobbies because she's out with Hans. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about how this is spreading. Um, this is sort of just in the climate denial ether, but the guy who seems to sort of own it more than anybody is this dude, Bjorn Lomborg, who I talked a little bit about in the plants episode. And our listeners at home may or may not know, there's this website called DSmog, which is a great resource for just climate denial generally. And it'll break down like some of the myths and some of the most like common perpetrators of them. Bjorn Lomborg's DSmog page is so long. It's like a novella. The main things you need to know, he's best known as the author of The Skeptical Environmentalist mm. and Cool It. Two books that downplay the risk of global warming. So this guy is a climate scientist. Uh, he's not, actually, if you can <sighs> believe it. He does not have a background in climate science, and okay. he's published no peer review articles in journals devoted to climate change research. Huh. He does have a master's and a PhD in political science. That's a science? Sort of. Political what, Nicole? Science. Check. Mate. Yes, but that is not the same as climate science. He has authored policy studies arguing against climate change prevention measures and wrote a similar article in the peer-reviewed journal Technological Forecasting and Social Change, where he claimed, quote, climate policies also have costs that often vastly outweigh their climate benefits. So mm. his whole thing is like, you know, we got to make sure that we're not going so crazy over climate change right. that we're making our lives worse off than climate change would have. Okay, I think maybe maybe I maybe I jumped on this guy a little early. It's possible that his book about our response to the climate crisis doesn't go in depth on climate change. Uh, I don't know. I haven't read the book, but somehow I doubt it. Okay. Uh, to give you an idea of how prolific this guy is as sort of a climate misinformation artisan, uh, in 2010, Yale University Press released an entire book called The Lomborg Deception, Setting the Record Straight About Global Warming. Interesting. So you have to be like a pretty prolific, uh, well-heeled climate denier for Yale to release an entire book yeah. Being like, get a load of this fucking guy. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds to me as though, because I mean, Nicole, we have talked about a, quite a lot of climate denying cranks whose whole <laughs> shtick is like, there's no global warming because the earth is so flat, all the warming falls off the edges. And that's how <laughs> we're going to solve this thing. Please buy my subscription to uh, powders. Different powders that make you powders dot Powders.com. Yeah, powders.com. I cannot believe they got powders.com. <laughs> Um, yeah, so like those people are not getting books from Yale written about them. Bjorn must be a pretty like convincing sort of huckster uh -huh. to get that kind of I treatment. I think what sort of differentiates him is he is, um, he seems a little bit more grounded in reality than some of the other ones. That's He's what a it's little bit take. Yeah, better they're spoken. evolving, you know? Yeah. Um, and as you'll see in the clip I'm about to play for you, he does acknowledge that climate change is happening, which I think just on a base level differentiates him from the sort of caliber of climate denialists that we were used to for a while. This is Bjorn Lomborg's appearance on a podcast called Uncommon Knowledge, which is 
hosted by the Hoover Institute. Uh, according to their mission statement, the primary tenets of the organization are representative government, private enterprise, and to limit government intrusion into the lives of individuals. So they're basically like an anti-regulation organization. I don't think they use the word libertarian anywhere on their website, but it is of that ilk. Uh, so it makes sense that a guy who is like, let's not go too crazy with climate regulation would be on their podcast. Gotcha. And so this is a clip of Bjorn Lomborg on the Hoover Institution's podcast, Uncommon Knowledge, in an episode called The Heat Is On, Bjorn Lomborg on the summer's record heat. As temperatures rise, you're going to see more heat waves, and that will be a problem. Uh, the, my, my contention with this issue has never been, is climate change real? Absolutely it's real. It's man-made. It is something that we should be concerned about. Okay, good. I want us to get a sense of proportion, that is, of all the issues that we're facing, how big of a problem is climate change? So most people don't know that almost everywhere on the planet, many more people die from cold than from heat. This is from a, a 2022 article in The Lancet. They estimate that in uh, Eastern Asia, so mostly China, about 80,000 people die every year from heat waves. We should definitely know about that from heat, all kinds of heat. That's definitely terrible. We should definitely be talking about that. But every year, 1.15 million people die from cold. We're not well informed if we only hear one argument. Oh my God, there are more heat waves. We're going to be, you know, we're all going to die. We need to do something about this. And, and if, if you'll just allow me briefly, because it also matters in how you then tackle this. Remember, it's actually, it turns out to be fairly easy to tackle more heat. We know how to do that, it's air conditioning. It's very simple to do, you can do that, you just need to go indoors or go to the mall that's uh, uh, air conditioned in those one or two or three days when this is, you know, the, the heat really peaks. On the other hand, cold deaths is much harder to deal with because that requires you to have heating on for the whole winter time. That's often costly and something that pensioners and poor people can't really afford. And one of the things that have happened because we have made climate policies is that energy has become more expensive. And that means that people can't afford to keep their homes as well heated. So what's actually happened in the US and probably also many other places, but we don't have as good data, is that heat deaths have gone down despite global warming, but cold deaths keep going up, probably partly because we can't afford our energy anymore. I see. Probably, partly because we can't <laughs> afford energy. Huh. Yeah. And as you know, because of our climate policies, because we have so many in place, our energy has gotten more expensive. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting conundrum because the obvious other solution is uh, profit regulation. Yeah. It's is like, <laughs> hey, instead of charging pensioners so much for energy, what if we subsidized it? Yeah. Like, oh, you care about pensioners being able to keep their heating on. How about a policy that like subsidizes that particular thing? Yeah. Or like installs more heat pumps, which are more efficient and less costly mm -hmm. over the long term. He also has this thing about like, well, if it's hot, it's no problem because you can go to the mall. Right. <laughs> we can all just go to the mall. Yeah. Holy shit. Are people going to start complaining about like, hey, there's 2,000 people like in this GART sports. <laughs> R.I.P. Gart Sports. Oh, shit. It's gone. It's what is it? Sports Authority now? No, R.I.P. Sports Authority. R.I.P. Sports Authority? Yeah. Sports Authority's gone? Yeah. No. Where am I going to get my Speedo cap? Dicks.
<laughs> no, Nicole, my speedo cat. <laughs> uh, okay. I can't believe we have to take this just go to the mall thing seriously, but I do want to talk about it for a second mm. because, uh, first of all, he's saying that it's easy to deal with heat, but hard to deal with cold because you have to heat your house all the time. But if it's hot, you can just go to the mall, which we're going to say is a cooling center here. Right. I don't think he's trying to send you to Spencer's Gifts specifically, or maybe well, he is. I don't gotta know. you got to get a blacklight poster of a <laughs> cat sitting under a mushroom. <laughs> Yes. Um, But uh, there's like a lot of issues with that. Heat is unpleasant during the day, but as long as you stay, you know, under a certain body temperature, you're fine. The main thing is getting it cool at night Mm. Um, because it interferes with sleep patterns. You need to be cooler for a certain amount of the day. But I would say that in places like the American South, particularly in places where the wet bulb temperature is very high, which has to do with the humidity and how Mm. much your body can naturally cool itself with sweat and things it's really hard to get the temperature down at night so Mm. you need to be running the air conditioning all the time just like you would with heat so that is sort of a weird dichotomy that he's drawing for me yeah but it's i guess it's also like you will need it to be cool in the daytime too when it's doubly hot yeah i spent the first part of the pandemic in palm springs in july and Mm. it was 120 degrees every day but how was that mall Was it closed? It was, yeah. Ah, oh, bummer. Super closed, but not for long because well, Palm wait Springs the is like summer. weirdly conservative, so there's, they opened a lot of stuff before <laughs> too long. But um, the other thing about malls is a lot of the people who are going to be most affected by heat uh, don't have access to a mall. Right. You know, I don't know that if uh, like poor farmers in the Middle East are going to be able to just go to the mall. Yeah. The mall is 79 kilometers away from my farm, but (laughs) I guess I'll just pack up and go to the mall. Yeah. It does. Yeah. That doesn't really scan. And also, why can't you go to the mall when it's cold? (laughs) Like, how is this like, I, I guess the kindest interpretation of this is that cold events are longer term and sudden heat events are rarer. Maybe that's what he's trying to say. He basically says that heat is easy to deal with in the U.S. because we have air conditioning. It's very simple to do. You just need to go indoors or go to the mall that's air conditioned in those one or two or three days when that is, you know, when the heat really peaks. So, yes, I think he's claiming that heat events are sort of fewer and far between. Again, I'm going to point out that right now in the American South, they're in like dozens of days of over 100 degree temperatures. So it's, I mean, I guess you could go to the mall every day, but if you're not 14. Can we? <laughs> that doesn't really feel like a thing that you want to do. And also, you can't sleep at the mall unless you're like in a Disney Channel original movie. Oh, that'd be fun. Or you're at the sleep number store. Yes. And then they don't encourage you to sleep very long there. Right. Um, but like at nighttime when it is supposed to get colder, that's when your body like does a lot of essential functions. And if you don't get enough sleep and it's not cool enough, then like that has very negative health consequences. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. 
If you're anything like me, you get kind of bummed at the thought of your bank loaning your hard-earned money to fossil fuel companies to build more oil and gas infrastructure. And not like a little bit. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars in financing every year. If you'd rather know your hard-earned cash is staying out of the fossil fuel industry's oily hands, look no further than Atmos Financial. Atmos boosts your savings when you set up automatic donations to pre-approved nonprofits, offers fee-free personal business and joint savings accounts, and cash back on environmentally aligned purchases. Best of all, your money will not go to help oil and gas. A lot of other people still will, but yours, my friend, is off limits. You can't have it, oil and gas. And for the record, I genuinely use Atmos. I got the card in my wallet, and I signed up when I was quarantining for 10 days for getting Omicron at a pool hall in England. Assuming you're not listening to this podcast ironically, Atmos Financial is putting your money where your mouth is by providing a climate-friendly solution to customers concerned about what the deposits in their bank account are funding. So head on over to joinatmos.com playbook to sign up and make a difference with your dollar today. Nicole, the world of climate activism has not been racking up a ton of W's lately. What? Yeah, I hate to be the one to break it to you. Oh, boy. But it's officially time to chalk one up for the good guys. Because thanks to the work of a bunch of climate activists, the U.S. government has officially paused the permitting of new liquefied natural gas, or LNG, export facilities. New facilities will now be required to factor in the local impacts and climate implications of building a bonanza of new natural gas infrastructure across the country. Man, really taking a swing on the word bonanza there. I wanted to put a little top spin on it. All right, you've probably heard a lot about that natural gas project CP2 or Calcasieu Pass 2 getting stopped. This was that. The decision stalled CP2 and a bunch of proposed LNG infrastructure that would lock us into untold decades of additional carbon emissions, methane emissions, and your favorite, Nicole, regular old-fashioned pollution. This LNG pause was brought to you by the blood, sweat, and tears of climate activists and advocacy groups who have shown that getting loud about the climate crisis can actually lead to real-world results. Now, this is hardly the final nail in the natural gas industry coffin, but it's a great step in the right direction for the climate and for the frontline communities who are threatened by these new LNG facilities. I mean, how dare they have houses where the LNG wants to build? It's going to take a lot more of these steps to meaningfully cut emissions, protect our public lands, and ensure that American families have access to clean energy for the long haul. So let's take the win and keep fighting for climate-focused policy at every level of government. This message was brought to you by our friends at Climate Power. For more information on LNG policy and what you can do to get involved, visit climatepower.us slash action dash hub. That's climatepower.us slash action dash hub. Hey there, a little inside baseball. We record this very podcast at the Climate Town office. And if you're not familiar with Climate Town, it's a YouTube series we make for as cheaply as possible. And that means schlepping our camera equipment all over New York City. Yes, our backpacks are full, and the gear we reach for every time is peak design. That voice you just heard is Ben Bolt, the executive producer of this podcast and of Climate Town. That's right, Raleigh. I mean, this is an ad, but we are genuinely loaded with peak design gear, from backpacks to sling bags to camera camera accessories. And by we, I usually just mean Ben. Ben literally has like seven things from Peak Design on during any given shoot. Yeah, really. I mean, they make good stuff. Uh, My freaking phone case from Peak Design. My phone charger on my desk. That's Peak Design too. My out front bike mount that I can put my phone on. Guess what? Peak Design. You know that little tripod we use on Climate Town shoots? The little travel tripod? The little travel tripod. They got organizers. They got straps, clips, duffel bags, everyday bags. And they're not f***ing around. Peak Design gear is guaranteed for life whether you buy it first hand or tenth hand. And they can make that kind of commitment and not go broke because they build stuff to last. As my father would say, it's built like a brick shit house. 
And now I'm hearing it out loud, that term is a little dated. Peak Design is a certified fair trade B Corp that prides itself on recyclable materials, and it lobbies lawmakers in D.C. for environmental legislation. They're also the group who nominated Climate Town to be an environmental partner with 1% for the planet. So double thank you. And they also have been a podcast supporter of ours from day one. And also, also, they just make really good stuff. So go to peakdesign.com slash playbook. That's P-E-A-K design.com slash playbook for 20% off some of our favorite products and a picture of Ben on set dripping with Peak Design gear. I'm literally going to try to put as many pieces of Peak Design gear as I possibly can into one picture. I'm glad we just got health insurance because Ben's back is going to be demoed. But not because the Peak Design stuff is heavy. The other shit that we put inside it. Well, in bulk, it's heavy. If you you stack enough Peak Design stuff. Yeah, okay. I'm but not saying it's sweet, heavy gear. They got a it's sweet good shoulder gear. strap. It really takes the weight off your it's shoulder. It's going to crush you to death. If that's how I got to go, sayonara. Um, I have one more clip that I want to show you that is an argument that I have not heard about why we falsely believe in climate change. Ooh. This is also relevant. You are in the throes of editing your video right now about the miseducation of children. That's correct. Prager U is, hey. is deeply involved with that. And we this, love them. This is a clip of Dennis Prager of Prager U explaining why liberals hate climate change. And you'll notice he references a familiar figure. If there's one one piece I'd like you to read from the year 2021, it's Bjorn Lomborg's piece that just came out in, in the L.A. Times, amazingly. No, no, USA Today, amazingly. And how so many fewer people are dying because of climate than ever before. Because the, the great killer is cold, not heat. So global warming has actually been saving lives. But the left doesn't care about saving lives. They care about disrupting civilization because of the deep boredom in their soul that comes from the religionless lives that they were raised with. That's what it is. That's what it is. Raleigh, we're just bored because we don't go to church enough. And so we've invented climate change to uh, destroy civilization. Is it too late to start going to church a lot and then get my soul back unboarded or whatever the fuck? The main reason to go to church is not to be bored. Not for my soul to be bored. Yes. I'm going to be bored. Yeah, but your soul won't My be. soul will be freaking enraptured by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, here's, I'm, I'm going to take a stab and say this is exactly what happened in the life of Dennis Prager. Mm-hmm. He gets a subscription to USA Today because of fucking course he does. <laughs> Blasts through this article, already a agrees with it so he remembers it because that's how confirmation bias works and just wholesale takes all the points and doesn't do any critical thinking on it and now he's gonna think that forever and there's nothing somebody could say to this man to make him stop yes and it's worth pointing out that this is the man who is providing science curricula to many schools throughout the country oh that is which is funny because that is going to make kids bored that's gonna make kids bored but their souls will be They'll be doing backflips. Psyched as hell. <laughs> um, he's also very sleepy in this interview. <laughs> he's just like speaking of bored. Yeah, think of somebody whose soul looks bored. I think he looks he looks very relaxed. I'm not gonna say he's on a trank. I don't think, but he's just like imagine not caring whether you appear interesting to other people on a podcast. <laughs> 
And he's making the claim that global warming is saving lives. Yeah. And I think it's time that we talk a little bit about how climate change and all of the ways that it's changing are actually endangering a lot of people. Yeah. Just to be clear, it's not heat deaths and cold deaths. Yeah. That's not the the ledger for climate change. Yeah. That is the ledger they are very much trying to imply is mm-hmm. how climate change works. That's not how climate change works. Yes. If they and this is a thing like I, I was I almost wanted to give Bjorn Lomberg like another chance because yeah, it's important to target your social policy properly. And if your policies aren't working, it's worth thinking about. But then his whole shtick that like more people are dying of cold and so that's how we should think about climate policy. It's either recklessly ignorant because heat deaths and cold deaths are not the totality of climate deaths or it's willfully disinformation. Yeah. And we talk about this in terms of death, but also it it ruins quality of life in a lot of ways. You know, you can survive a heat wave and still have had like a very bad few weeks that right. you didn't want to have to endure. Yeah, like over 100,000 people were displaced in Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. 1,400 people died. Does yeah. that mean that the other people were fine? No. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's not, it's not how you count a disaster. Yeah, exactly. And disasters are one of the big ways that climate change will have a bad impact on people. Mm. I think this last clip that I have for you can kind of set us up for this discussion about like the broader impacts of climate change. This is actually the clip that made me want to do this episode in the first place. This is from a few weeks ago. This is Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson. <laughs> Now it's canon. So this is a special treat for us because this is a podcast where we like break down these climate myths. And this is a clip where this scientist that Ron Johnson is talking to corrects the myth in real time. Now, this has no impact on Ron Johnson, as you might expect that it wouldn't. But it is really nice to hear a scientist be like, no. (laughs) Um, So this is Dr. Michael Greenstone, who's in uh, hearing about climate policy. And Ron Johnson is trying to tell him that because he's the senator from Wisconsin, that climate change is actually great for him and his state. So he Uh. shouldn't have to care about it. When you take a look at uh, the mortality risk, and these are all projections. I don't I don't put any stock in them whatsoever, but by your own projections. <sighs> I don't put any stock in them whatsoever, but they are convenient to me at this point in time, so I will speak on them at length. Because of climate change, we're going to actually have a reduced risk of mortality uh, overall in the United States. In terms of excess deaths, a warming globe is actually beneficial. In my own state, your, your study shows that uh, we'd have a Reduction mortality of somewhere between 54 and 56 people per, I guess, it's 100,000. Why wouldn't we take comfort in that? What the work shows and the the chart is uh, that the effects of climate change are going to be very unequal. Uh, And absolutely, uh, Wisconsin, Chicago, where I I live, the reduction in cold days, the benefits from that will outweigh uh, the damages from the hot days. But if you look more carefully at that, there's large swatches of the country uh, where the damages will be much larger. I'm so the, the fact, in terms of global health, in terms of excess death, we're actually in a better position to prevent death by having the climate increase in temperature a little bit, so, right? Uh, Senator, I'm not familiar with that study. What I am familiar with is my study. Uh, your characterization of it is incorrect. Well, your, your study is very favorable to my state. Uh, our, our mortality declines uh, per hundred thousand. Wisconsin uh, will benefit in terms of mortality. There are 49 other states in the United States. 
many of them uh, will suffer. Uh, many of them will suffer more than Wisconsin will gain. Uh, and that is, uh, that is the nature of climate change. It's very unequal. Uh, According to your study, you're concerned if you're in the really hot region of, of Africa, but in terms of the United States and most of Europe, we're in pretty good shape. We're all blue. We have reduced risk of death. Yes, if you look carefully at the top of that figure, uh, a large section of the country is not blue. Those are the areas uh, where some of uh, your colleagues represent uh, people, and those people are going to face increased risk of mortality. Uh, so it's nice to just hear a scientist be like, no, yeah, you're wrong. And you got the colors wrong. <laughs> and this is like, first of all, his whole thing at the top was like, these are projections. I don't put any stock in them. Uh -huh. And then he immediately puts three minutes of stock in that. Like he, all he does <laughs> is like these these projections mean Wisconsin's going to do well. Therefore, climate change is good. Uh huh based entirely on the projections that he just said he didn't believe. Yes. So, like, this man is not concerned about the facts. This man is like, it doesn't matter what's real. I have a narrative. I will fulfill the narrative. And also, climate change is a complex uh -huh. problem. Scientists are crunching giant data sets to produce these, like, nuanced models and to have it reduced to Ron Johnson just saying all of it is blue when it's not is just so fucking perfect for what this level of the climate crisis 100%. is. 100%. So I like this clip because I want to talk about Wisconsin specifically mm. because I think when we talk about all of the ways that climate change is going to affect Wisconsin, which is – Ron Johnson's not wrong, a state that will probably fare better during climate change than other places in the country and in the world. It kind of illustrates how we can't just think about climate change in terms of like hot and cold deaths. And let's start by just talking about temperatures before mm. we get into anything else. First of all, there's a, there's some question about the premise. Um, an article just came out in The Washington Post that showed that actually in America – heat deaths currently are higher than cold deaths. Uh. I want to be careful with that because in America, deaths from both heat and cold are so low that if one's higher than the other by a little bit, it's not really statistically significant. Right. But Plus, the, we just talked about the, the statistics being so easy to misinterpret exactly. because what's a heat death, what's a cold death, you know. Exactly. How do you quantify all of those things? But regardless- Move to Wisconsin. <laughs> Ron Johnson <laughs> yeah. would like you in Wisconsin. Yes. Um, I just want to illuminate the fact that if we're saying that cold deaths are a way more serious problem than heat deaths in America, that doesn't necessarily seem to be true. I'm showing you a chart on weather.gov's website called Weather Fatalities 2020, um, and you can see that the category heat and the category cold both have less than 200 total deaths, mm. both for weather fatalities for 2020 and the 10-year and 30-year averages are both you know, well under 200 deaths. Um, you can see why this is complicated. Like there's a category for heat, but then there's also a category for cold and winter separately. So it's like, well, do the winter deaths mean like skidding off the road and getting into a car crash? Or does it mean avalanche? Or does it I mean would, cold I would assume that like if these are weather fatalities, then like a cold snap or something like that mm -hmm. because it's like not climate fatalities. Yeah. It's but I don't again, know. you can see the trouble with this data. But yeah. the point is that America is a, a very rich first world country mm. and we're pretty good at mitigating heat and cold 
you know, given the resources. In a place like Wisconsin, a lot of the cold deaths don't happen because it's just so cold that people in their houses can't survive. It's like an elderly person living on their own goes outside, slips and falls down, and they can't get in their house. Or somebody struggling with homelessness and addiction maybe doesn't have anywhere to go, and in a cold snap, they freeze. So there's often these social or physiological comorbidities that are contributing to that, which is part of what makes it so hard to track. Gotcha. Uh, you know, if you're an old person who falls down outside, the fall didn't technically kill you. But if you didn't fall, then you wouldn't have been outside. So is that a death from cold or is that a death from lack of mobility? Or like, what's the, you know, where do you come down on that? Yeah. There is a thing that's happening here where these guys only care about deaths from cold when somebody is like, hey, we should stop climate change mm -hmm. like the moment they're like we should stop climate change it's causing all these heat waves it's like yeah but it's also people are dying from cold yeah. it's like oh great let's stop them both well no let's just stop neither one yeah and it's it just it feels sort of smacks of a lack of interest in humanity 100 percent. so so i bring this up to illustrate mostly that like in america at least it's not clear that cold is much deadlier than heat uh, mm. or or vice versa. So to use that as a premise for domestic policy, I, I don't think really holds up. Um, and according to a 2005 study, heat spikes cause deaths while cold spikes don't really cause deaths in the same way. Again, it's that thing of like, well, if you're able to stay inside, you're going to be able to weather the cold much better. Whereas in a heat spike, if you don't have air conditioning, it's harder to cool your house down. It's just like there's so many factors that contribute to dying of heat or cold that it's it's just hard to tease out any one thing. Gotcha. And according to a paper in the Bulletin of the American Meteorological Society called Heat Mortality versus Cold Mortality, a study of conflicting databases in the United States, quote, in general, these separate mortality data sets should not be combined or compared, particularly with regard to policy determination. Mm. I'm not even necessarily saying that cold deaths aren't worse. It's just so hard. It's it's not even quite like apples to oranges. It's it's like two totally different categories with many different causalities contributing to all of those deaths. Right. And and ultimately, the best policy solution is not to allow the globe to heat up. <laughs> yes. I, I think that's like that's undergirding this whole concept. Like the fact that we're even talking about cold deaths versus heat deaths is so absurd because it's only a binary if we consider that the correct course of action is to allow global warming to run rampant. Like, mm -hmm. we only need to consider this if we think it's okay if global warming is happening. And it's like, I reject the premise immediately. Yes. And I'm glad that you said that because this is a good segue into us talking about all of the stuff that climate change does that isn't just temperature. Yeah. Um, and again, different places in the world are going to have different effects, you know. Uh, and now we don't trust the models <laughs> one bit. Let's just say this right now. We put no stock in any of this completely full stop. Yes. Um, but I want to talk about Wisconsin specifically because Ron Johnson seems so gung-ho about how great things are going to be in Wisconsin okay. when climate change happens. Um, so climate change is a contributing factor to a lot of disasters. Uh, a lot of times people have a hard time because, you know, well, there have always been disasters. Climate change isn't causing disasters. What climate change does is it increases the likelihood that those disasters will happen. It creates conditions for disasters to start and for disasters to become worse. Yeah. We had a the steroid era in Major League Baseball, and you can't say that steroids caused any one individual home run, but Barry fucking Bonds hit more than 70 home runs in a season, and he did it because he was built like a house because he did so many steroids. Raleigh? 
That is a great fucking analogy. Thank you. That's really good. I've said it before. So yeah. this is this is the steroid era of the climate. Right. Um, so let's talk about some of these disasters. Flooding. Flooding is a major disaster that climate change is a contributing factor to. There's several reasons for this. It can cause heavier rains. Droughts can also dry out the ground, which weirdly, paradoxically, makes it less able to absorb rainwater. Hell yeah. Not um, even weirdly. It's it, just it, 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 it hardens and bakes and it, the rainwater sluices right off. Yeah, of it. it's like when you bake a pot. In uh, in like in yeah. elementary school when we had to do like pottery, had to do. Imagine, oh no, I uh, gotta do pottery. I gotta do <laughs> arts and crafts. Let me do some more fucking equations, Miss Baldwin. <laughs> Don't make me work with my hands. Anyway, the point is climate change sets the conditions to make flooding much worse. Projections show that Wisconsin is going to get wetter, and they're already struggling to update their infrastructure to adapt to flooding. Okay, in 2018, record floods sent the whole state of Wisconsin into a state of emergency, killed at least one person, and caused over $208 million in damages. And before that, in 2008, record rainfall caused flooding that damaged over 50,000 houses in Wisconsin. Well, Nicole, that is actually pretty inconvenient to Ron Johnson's argument, so he's not going to be putting any stock at all in those floods. No stock into those floods. Sorry. He's just not putting stock into those floods. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin's a wet state. In Wisconsin and um, Minnesota and all of those states, like going to the lake is a thing. Mop yourselves up, Wisconsin. <laughs> um, so so flooding is going to be a problem. They're going to have to uh, reinforce their houses. They're going to have to reinforce their roadways. They're going to have to deal with increasing insurance costs. Um, and also, as long as we're talking about flooding, flooding kills people. There's drowning, obviously, but it's not just drowning, okay? Floods and other natural disasters have a lot of different effects that are fatal, but also disabling. Um, if you look at any flood, there's a lot of like orthopedic injuries from slipping on wet ground, getting swept away by the waters, having something heavy swept into you by the waters. You'll have difficulty accessing medication or a loss of medication stock. Let's say if your local pharmacy floods, you may have difficulty accessing care for other medical conditions. You can also contract a pathogen from the flood waters itself, particularly um, if you're near like a septic tank or a cesspool mm, or something. Mm. There's lots of ways that flooding can injure or kill people um, and decrease their quality of life overall, result in injuries that permanently disable them, prevent them from working, worsen their overall health. At least one study from England about the 1968 floods in Bristol found that the number of clinic visits, hospital admissions, and deaths from all causes was greater in the year after the flood among those who had been affected by flooding than among those who had not been. So there is some evidence to show that if you survive a flood, you still have worse health outcomes up to and including death than if you didn't experience a flood. Yeah. There's also pests. Pests love climate change. We okay. talked a little bit about it in the plants episode. Um, and Wisconsin's already dealing with that. Thanks to climate change, there's a bunch of pests fucking up their trees, like the spongy moth, oh. which is a fun name, and one that you might remember, the emerald ash borer. Oh, yeah, the ash borer. Which uh, listeners at home might be interested to know that Raleigh and I filmed a pilot for a morning show uh, and we did a whole segment about the Emerald Ash Borer. Do you remember the name of the show? Good, Good morning, morning your Oh, it was Olathe. But yeah, right. regardless, pests are already coming into Wisconsin. They're having devastating effects on their trees and their wildlife and their ecosystem. This makes them, one, less resilient to floods. It makes them less resilient to wildfire. Go, I'm going to stop you right there. Mm -hmm. None of these sound like deaths from heat. 
So <laughs> I don't know what you're fucking talking about. Yeah. Okay. You know what? You're right. So so let's move on to social unrest. Okay. We mentioned the Syrian refugee crisis earlier, where people were moving from rural areas um, into urban areas, uh, and ultimately into other cities. Um, now, this might not seem like a huge issue in a place like Wisconsin. Yeah. But in nearby Minnesota, the New York Times did a huge profile on people moving to climate-proof Duluth because we're already starting to see like the early stages of climate migration. And in Duluth, people are like, okay, cool. This is like sort of revitalizing our economy, but already local people are being priced out of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they, and- they can just go live in the mall. <laughs> They sure can. Why don't they just go live in the mall? The solutions are easy, Nicole. Yes. Um, and so while Wisconsin probably has the natural resources right now to accept a certain amount of people, if everybody from Arizona needs to relocate and moves to Wisconsin, that's going to create a huge amount of social unrest. It's going to push some of the most vulnerable people out of their homes, which is a health risk. Right. Um, so these are all ways that climate change can impact Wisconsin specifically. And Raleigh, believe it or not, I want to circle back around at the very end to talk about the idea of cold in Wisconsin okay. because the whole premise here is that Ron Johnson says that climate change is going to be good for his state because Wisconsin's cold and it's going to get warmer. And he's right in the long term because climatologists from the Wisconsin Initiative on Climate Change Impacts have projected that winters in Wisconsin will warm by 4 to 11 degrees Fahrenheit by mid-century. However, they also say that in the short term, Wisconsin may see more intense blasts of cold air. Mm. because of something called the polar vortex. Ah, the old polar vortex. Yes, which I have lived in New York during previous polar vortices. Nice. Is that right? Uh, And they suck. They're really cold. It's really bad. My heater went out at the time, and my landlord was like, here's like six space heaters. And I was like, am I going to die with these? But it's that's neither here nor there. The point is that there's a bunch of really cold air that hangs out near the North Pole. Mm. and And it's kept in a tight circle. Yes. by the jet stream and other air streams that are yes. keeping it maintained on the poles. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes a tendril will sneak down from it sure, and create really cold conditions at a far more southerly latitude than it normally does. Right. Yeah. If you get a weakening of the jet stream, mm-hmm. it's it sort of can cause a wobble in the vortex and that can send that cold air down. Yeah. Yes. And that is one thing that climate change makes more likely. Mm. Per the Environmental and Energy Study Institute, climate change is expected to impact the frequency and severity of polar vortex events. So even if overall... Wisconsin will eventually get warmer, they're probably... Not definitely, but probably going to get hit a few times with really, really cold polar vortices. Yeah, and it only takes one of those to kill you. Yeah. You know, like, oh, no, these people aren't dead. They had most of the days warmer. <laughs> there was that one day that did kill all of them, but, yeah. uh, you know, but the rest of the, the days, days were so nice. Yeah, um, and, and I think that one, like, historical moment that a lot of people might connect to this is the texas blackouts Mm. in 2021 um that was part of a polar vortex incident um 246 people died it Mm. was pretty pretty severe mortality in texas they're they're simply not built for polar vortex temperatures and that's the kind of thing that it's impossible to say that steroids were responsible for any given home run Uh, it's impossible to say that climate change caused that cold snap in texas but climate change does 
set the conditions for stuff like that to happen more often and more severely. If you put any stock in any of these models, we're probably going to see a lot more of these sorts of events popping up. And my prediction is that Anytime it happens, some of these dipshits are just going to be like, oh, no, no, you can't you can't say that was climate change. That could have been not climate change. Well, if it's cold, then they're going to say so much for global warming. Yeah. And if it's hot, they're going to say it's always been hot. Uh I've always worn shorts. I don't know. I don't even think I have any long shorts. I call them Ron Johnson on the Senate floor, just in a pair of Bermuda shorts. Yeah. Oh, these (laughs) I've always worn these. The only thing I put stock into is these Tommy Bahamas. And then he puts some sunglasses on. Now, who wants to surf? (laughs) (laughs) And the ultimate point of all of this is that climate change causes such wild disruptions to our weather systems, to what we're used to, to um, disasters and extreme events that we can't be as safe as we used to. Mm. And the fact that we are not prepared for these things and can't prepare for every eventuality means that more people's lives are going to be at risk as a result of climate change than they would be in a stable, regular system. Yeah, I think ultimately climate change doesn't mean, oh, it's going to get one degree warmer everywhere equally. Yeah, your house isn't going to be one degree Celsius warmer. Right, yeah. Climate change means we are dumping energy into a system. Mm -hmm. And that energy often takes the form of heat, but it is unequally distributed and it creates cataclysmic changes to the system that we've all evolved within. And so to distill it down to like, oh, it's going to get a little warmer in Wisconsin, which I don't even believe, but it's going to get a little warmer in Wisconsin, is such a deep misunderstanding of what the complex sciences are starting to coalesce around that it seems very irresponsible of Ron Johnson to continue being a senator. I'm starting to understand why he's called Wrong Johnson. Wrong Johnson alert. We made that up. I, I mean, so. somebody else has said it, I'm sure. I, I think we're the first. I think we should trademark it and we'll sell t-shirts. And sell them to him. Oh, that'll get him. So, Nicole, is this misinformation or disinformation? I would say that this is disinformation. Okay. I think, I think per usual, some of the people pushing it genuinely believe it, but... It, It doesn't take a lot of effort to see that there's more parts to climate change than simply temperature. And the people who benefit from climate change have a pretty good reason to make you think that it would be good. Now, Nicole, this is our first ever disagreement. Interesting. Okay. I think this is plain and simple misinformation. Okay. Because there is that kernel of truth about like, statistically, more people die from cold-related things currently than heat-related things Mm -hmm. currently. I think that's what people are glomming onto. And because it's so easy and this is how confirmation biases work, I want to believe this thing. I absorb this fact. I don't want to believe these. I'm very skeptical of these facts. That is how the human brain works. So I think these are just people who have absorbed this piece of misinformation and are repeating it as misinformation because they think it's real. That's actually really interesting. I can't believe that we're on opposing sides. Look, Nicole, it was bound to happen one of these days. We're now enemies. I thought you were with me through thick and through thin, through miss and through dis. Look, Anakin, you were supposed (laughs) to be the chosen one, but instead you try to do an aerial flip over me on a volcano. (laughs) 
I think what this speaks to is like maybe the distinction between misinformation and disinformation can become pretty murky. Like misinformation can become disinformation and back again, like even within the same sentence. Yeah, I think like the idea that disinformation is an intentional lie or misleading somebody and misinformation is just repeating falsehoods without the intent to mislead it's more like they thought this was true and it's not mm -hmm. and i think the distinction is less important than the analysis of the actual underlying yeah claim. gotcha i think that's a good way of thinking about it and i actually have one more clip that i was saving for this section because i think bonus clip a bonus clip um first of all it came out recently which is uh, a bummer because it means that people are being infected by it right now, but great for the podcast being topical. Awesome for um, the podcast. Bad for America. <laughs> great for the pod. But this is Republican presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy, who is on MSNBC on Andrea Mitchell Reports, um, and he's talking about all the stuff we're talking about. So let's listen to this, and we can kind of analyze the myths and disinformation within it. Cool. You've called climate change and that agenda a hoax. You said more people are dying from bad climate change policies than there are of actual climate change. But according to a UN agency, extreme weather events compounded by climate change caused the death of two million people between 1970 and 2021. Can you offer a shred of evidence that more than two million people died from converting to clean energy? I can offer clear evidence that the number of climate disaster-related deaths is down by 98% over the last century. The number of people who died of hurricanes, tornadoes, heat waves, and other weather-related events in 1920, for every 100 that died then, two die today. And the reason why is more plentiful, abundant access to fossil fuels and technology powered by fossil fuels. I can also tell you today, it is a hard fact, none of these things are disputed. Eight times as many people die of cold temperatures than die of warm ones. The right answer to all temperature-related deaths is more plentiful, abundant access to fossil fuels. The Earth is covered by more green surface area today than it was half a century or a century ago because carbon dioxide is plant food. And but, carbon dioxide as a percentage of the atmosphere is still at a relative but, low through human say, history. Those are I hard just, facts, and I think we have to acknowledge those facts when having this debate. First of all, thank you for showing me that clip, Nicole. I'm so happy. And now that's in my brain. <laughs> um, second, this is a textbook example of what's called a gish gallop. Are you familiar with the gish gallop? No, technique? but what a, what a fun name. A gish gallop is where you just say a bunch of different arguments right in a row without mm -hmm. letting the person that you're arguing with get a word in and overwhelm them with a bunch of different things, whether or not those things are true. Uh -huh. So this is a textbook gish gallop for the best of album for long debunked climate change talking points. Mm -hmm. So we got into like, we owe fossil fuels for everything, hot is better than cold, CO2 is plant food. He did the whole, he did the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Congratulations to that guy. I hope he cashed a giant check for that. But all of those are wrong. Yeah. And within the context of misinformation versus disinformation, you know, he's he's a public figure. Mm -hmm. Whether or not he gets elected to any public office, he's on the national stage now. Um, can somebody in that position do misinformation? Or at that point, is it always disinformation? Yeah. I mean, it sort of feels like at some level, if you are attempting to be a leader or a public figure... I think the onus is on you to do any kind of fact checking. 
And so this is sort of he's guilty of disinformation by either knowing it's wrong or criminal negligence in his fact checking. Mm -hmm. I think this could be considered disinformation, even if Vivek thinks he might be right, because surely someone has told him these are not complete arguments. These are just sort of talking points and that he's not really going to get any deeper, just repeating the same nonsense. But I think he knows that he can just get by any soundbite by just like spitting this out. Also, it's worth noting uh, Emily Atkin, who's an incredible climate reporter. I love her work. She she did a big piece about Vivek Ramaswamy and how he makes money from fossil fuels and climate denial. Uh, and it's it's too long to summarize here, but it's in the show notes. You got to read it. It's really good. But he makes, I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars from fossil fuel investments. And I don't know, just in terms of credibility, I think that makes it a little tough to take him seriously on this because even if he does believe what he's saying it's awfully convenient that he makes money off of what he is saying yeah and i mean it's really hard what's that quote like it's impossible to convince a man of something if his livelihood depends on him not Not believing believing it it. yeah Yeah, it's like kind of right there okay riley so it's thanksgiving dinner and it's cold okay it's cold this year and you're at home and you didn't bring enough sweaters so you got to wear one of your dad's sweaters and it's like a little bit too big and kind of dorky. So itchy, yeah. It's itchy. You already feel weird about it. Uh, and me, your sister's husband. Okay. Clark. Clark. Yeah. I, I come up to you and I strike up a conversation. Oh. And I'm like, uh, hey, Raleigh. Oh, I, what's up, Clark? How you doing? I'm I'm good. I like that sweater. Thank you. It's It actually belongs to my dad. I didn't bring enough sweaters. Oh, you didn't bring enough sweaters. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cold. It is cold. It is out. cold, isn't it? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Unseasonably. Yeah. yeah, unseasonably. And and you know, I know you're a climate change guy. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh you, you know, I used to be really worried about climate change. No, you didn't, but okay. I definitely used to be really worried. I've always said it's real and okay, I've, Clark. I've always been really worried about it. <laughs> go go right ahead. You know, one thing that made me feel better is I heard this guy talking, this guy Bjorn Lomborg, and uh he said that actually Way more people die of cold than of heat. Mm. And so, uh, you know, we're going to have a little bit of climate change and uh, fewer people are going to die. Well, that is uh, that is a point I have heard before, Clark. And uh, I will say this. You know how I put a sweater on when it was cold? Oh, minutes ago? Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't see you do it, but you're wearing a sweater. So using deductive reasoning, I can assume that that's what happened. I can see why my sister married you, Clark. You're a smart guy. Now, I could have set fire to this house and warmed up that way. I don't think that would have been a very nice thing to do to your parents. I don't think so either, Clark. And I think this is the takeaway that I want to imbue upon you about this particular piece of climate misinformation. Mm -hmm. There might be a disparity currently between heat deaths and cold deaths, but climate change does not only boil down to heat and cold deaths. You can die from flooding. You can die from extreme weather events. You can die from crop failure. Climate change is going to produce a lot of unpredictable and statistically very negative impacts that are not just how many people die of hot and cold. And to treat climate change like you're just turning the thermostat up one degree is a deep misunderstanding of how climate change is going to affect the globe. It's not just hot versus cold. So, Clark, yes, we are having a cold Thanksgiving today. But that does not mean that the solution is to warm the entire planet up because that's going to come with a lot of unforeseen consequences that 
could and very likely will have very negative impacts mm. on everything. I guess I see what you're talking about. Maybe next year if it's cold, we could just have Thanksgiving in the mall. You know what? Why don't you go to the mall right now? Ooh, I'm going to get one of those Black Friday deals, oh, baby. yeah. I'm going to get a drone. Yeah, why don't you go get that drone, Clark? You're a great brother-in-law, Raleigh. And you're a great Clark. Clark. The Climate Deniers Playbook is hosted by Raleigh Williams, that's me. And me, Nicole Conlin. Our executive producer is Ben Bolt, and our audio producer is Gregory Haddock. Theme music from the wickedly talented Tony Dominic and artwork by Jordan Dahl. Who, yes, okay, is my boyfriend, but that's not why we hired him. We hired him because he's very good at art. And our researchers are Knut Haraldson, James Krugnail, and Carly Rizzuto. Mop yourselves up, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs>